Well, I don't know. Some of you I may not have actually met before. Um, it's been a while since I've taught, actually. Um, part of that was uh, in the season of waiting for a staff person. I took a little hiatus from the te- not from the teaching team, but from teaching. Um, I'm Amanda Svensk. I'm one of the pastors here. I get the joy and privilege of working with our next generation, the kids and youth here at Open Door, and it is seriously a joy and a privilege. It is the thing that gives me so much life, and I love it so much. Um, And then on the side, I get to be a part of the teaching team, um, where every week we sit with the text and, and pray together and wonder what God might want to say through us, in us, to you, through you. Um, and it's, it's also a joy and a privilege. But one thing I love, and, and that piece of my story plays into this, um, about this place and about our church family, is that we desire to have such an unhurried posture. Um, and so in that season, when, when an, in a normal job, you would ramp up and do more, um, Pastor Dave and the rest of the team said, why don't we hold (laughs) for a little bit and give you some space. So that was a gift to me, and yet it's very exciting to be able to sit with a text and wonder what it might say. Um, I think that what is most in my head right now, and I'm wondering how you all are doing a week out from Christmas here, um, is just trying to trust God's voice for the invitation to slow down. And I was so feeling it this week. Um, everything seemed to land on this week. There was legitimately something every night that I needed to go to. Did anybody else have that circumstance this week? Um, it was like Monday night this, Tuesday night that, Wednesday night youth group, Thursday night this, Friday night we had a Mobile Hope um, Christmas party that I was helping coordinate. Um, and it was just this... Um, and one of my like systems for tracking that in my own life, I'll like make a list in my phone for Friday, which is like my day off, and then Saturday is my Sabbath. So I make the list for everything that needs to get done on Friday in order to Sabbath on Saturday. And when Friday came and I looked at my list, I went, oh no, this is not gonna work. And I felt God say, Amanda, not everything needs to be on that list. Not everything needs to be on that list. And I went, swipe, 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 and got some of that off. Um, So I don't know how you are feeling, but my invitation to you and our invitation to you is to listen for that still, small voice of invitation this week when everything seems like it has to get done. I'm here to tell you it doesn't. Like, do you really need to hand make the bows on your presence? No, you do not. No, you do not. What might be a grace of God to slow down for you this week? So I just thought I would check in on that because I know that sometimes it's like, well, every year I make cookies for all my neighbors or we always do this or we always do that. And, and, and there are some beautiful things about tradition and there's also a beautiful thing about listening to God and what he asks of you and looking through your list and going, actually, what is not for me to do this year? Swipe, get that out of there. So that was a little side note, Um, but it all goes back to this, what we've been talking about. God is not in a hurry. He's not in a hurry. If he was in a hurry, he wouldn't have chosen to do the things he does through us. He would have just done it. 
So there is something beautiful in the process that he wants us to discover. He's not in a hurry. And so I would love to just have us pause really quick and just take some deep breaths. This is actually brain science. If you stop and if you pause and you think about things that are true, it can help bring you back to a place where you can be more open. So just rest into this. God, you are not in a hurry. God, you are not overwhelmed. You are above the noise and the pressure. And God, as we celebrate this season, break through all of that noise so that we can hear from you. Help us to find those moments of quiet and just be with you so that we can receive your gifts, the things you have for us. So I have to tell you a little story this morning. When um, I first figured out that this was going to be the text that I was teaching on, I have to say I kind of went, oh, no. (laughs) Um, Dave and I flipped weekends, and so I didn't quite know what was going to happen. And then I realized, oh, I've actually taught this already last year. And I don't know if it was the year before or the one before that. And then also within the context of youth, I've done this several times. And so this actually has been a companion story in my journey with God. Um, But I thought to myself, what? I'm going to bore people because they're going to think they already know what I'm going to say. I've said the same things. Um, And so it's been kind of cool to think back about my journey with Mary um, and how it's been over the years with me and her as we've hung out and sat with this text. So the first time I did it, I remember being captivated by the fact that Mary got this unexpected news and how she lived into that, like just this major life halt, right? Um, And at that season in my life, um, that is what I needed to know. Uh, I was making some transitions in my life. And then the second time that I sat with this text, what stood out to me um, was uh, the, the very personal way that God spoke to Mary. So he, he sent an angel, an unexpected angel, to speak to her, and he spoke to her in a way that she could understand, took her questions. I just loved that about God's posture, how he came to her in the way that she needed to receive it. And that too spoke to me in that season of life. And then last year, what I remember standing out, just after the two years of kind of chaos would be the best way to describe it, but I don't even think that's quite adequate. Um, What I noticed was Mary's like defiant resilience and her joy in the midst of everything and how she just wanted to stomp down the powers that be. And that really sat with me last year. And then this year, um, I noticed something different. And so I can't wait to bring you into that. Uh, But first, a little context on the passage. Maybe you're familiar with this. So we know Mary is from this little town called Nazareth, which might seem insignificant, but obviously there's been years and years of prophecy ahead of Jesus coming. And it was said that this baby would come from from Nazareth. So it's a small, tiny town set amidst all these hills and mountainside, and only probably about 300 people were living in that town. And Mary, as well as all of her neighbors, were pretty poor, pretty, had pretty humble lifestyles. Um, but also Mary's family was devout studiers, studiers? Students? Um, of the Jewish law. And we see that because as Mary goes into this song that Tammy read for us, Um, As she goes into this song, she repeats scripture 
over and over and over from the Old Testament books that the Jewish people studied. And so it's, it's like she's just saturated with the word of God. Um, from Psalm 22, from Psalm 44, 103, as well as um, there's a song of Hannah in the book of 1 Samuel um, that she basically mirrors. It's a pretty close story. So it's very obvious that Mary knows and has dwelled in the word of God, which is so powerful. Um, her song is a mixture of both prophecy but also poetry. Um, again, it can land any way you look at it. That's what I love about God's word being living and active, right? It can change based on where we are at and how we see things. Um, Mary's words are both about her personally, but also there's a power to them for her whole people. Her ancestors, the people that have gone before her, um, but also just the Jewish people in general. And she declares God's mercy she notices how he's been faithful to not only her, but to her people. Um, and she also brings up promises that God is bringing to be and declares those as true. Um, and some of them that she calls out are things that do come through through Jesus. And some of them are things we're still waiting for to this day. So I think it's wild to think about Mary, a teenage girl, being brought this news standing at a crossroads in her life where she could go either way. And first she chooses to say yes. She chooses to say yes to this angel and says, basically, let God's will be done to me. Um, I, by the way, I love that about teenagers. And if you're a teenager in this room, I love this about you, that when there's something big and important, they don't overthink it. They say yes. Uh, they just say yes because they want to be willing to do what God wants them to do. And guess what? That's the next generation we have at our church. It excites me so much because if something matters and is important to God, they want to authentically live that out. So I don't know what you're hearing about Gen Z, but that's what's actually true is they care. They care and want to enter into a real authentic story that brings hope for people um, and deeper with our students because they love Jesus. So it's wild to think about her at this point saying yes first and then she flees to her cousin Elizabeth, right? So this arduous journey at the beginning of pregnancy, now maybe it was different for her because it was a holy pregnancy, but y'all remember that story I told you about when I was pregnant and we were in France and I cannot wear the shoes I wore in France because it makes me nauseous when I look at them to this day. So imagining traveling 90 miles by foot or by horse or donkey, camel, I don't know. Um, it makes me feel tired thinking about her doing that. And it's amazing, but she was driven because she wanted to know what God said. If, if it's happening to Elizabeth, I've got to go celebrate. I've got to go see her. And so she goes. I love that. Um, and then after that, we see her submission. She receives kind of this confirming word from Elizabeth. And, and she moves from this place of, like earlier um, in Luke 1, she, when she receives this word from the angel, she's like, what kind of greeting is this? What kind of greeting is this? And it says she was greatly troubled at his words. Um, so we see her move from being troubled and like stirred up into a posture of, 
yes, God. Yes, God, and here's who you are, God. And so this year as I sat with this, I noticed Mary's posture of going from troubled to rejoicing, to experiencing joy. Mary experienced joy. I was specifically drawn to her joy and her worship this time. And we'll talk a little bit more about why that sits with me and why it might be an invitation for us as we go this morning. But joy is probably one of the most overused words in the Christmas season. Who's been to Hobby Lobby recently? Every mug, every pillow, every frame, joy, joy. But what does joy mean? What does it mean? Um, So I did the classic teacher thing and looked up the definition, but there's something we've got to pay attention to here. Um, If you use good old Merriam-Webster dictionary, it says, it is an emotion evoked by well-being, success, good fortune, or the prospect, goodness, of possessing what you desire. It's the expression or exhibition of such emotion, a state of happiness, a source or cause for delight. So, please notice that in this definition, joy depends on what happens, okay? So let's hold this up to Mary and the joy we see in this text, and how does it feel? Does it feel unhurried? Does it feel like a slow work of God? Does it seem like something that would bear fruit, fruit of the Holy Spirit, like that Galatians passage? Let me tell you how it makes me feel. It makes me feel tired. Um, With joy plastered everywhere, with the idea of joy being something I can accomplish or grasp onto or experience for a moment, um, it seems like a lot of work. And it seems like it relies a lot on me. And it actually makes me think think of more things that I could buy to try to fill up my life. Um, It makes me think of things I could pin on a Pinterest board or um, things that I could watch that would make me happy, that would conjure up this happy, slappy feeling like the Hallmark or Great American Christmas, whatever, those things. Um, It's a temporary thing and it doesn't last from what I see in that definition. And that doesn't seem to align with Mary's response to me at all. In fact, Mary has every reason to not be joyful. She should be fearful, am I right? She should be fearful. Um, But let's move into the biblical idea of joy, because as you know, everything is always deeper with God, right? Like that Galatians passage, it says, the fruit of the Spirit produces joy, right? Produces joy, forbearance, all those things. Um, But joy, if it's a fruit, does a fruit just appear? No. Thank you over there. I love that voice. Thank you. You are right, sir. Um, It grows. It's something that has to be nurtured. It's something that has to be tended both by God, like there's God's part and there's our part. And so this has stood out to me a lot. The joy that's described here is actually a Greek word, hara. Can't do it very well, sorry, for Greek scholars in the room. Um, But it's derived from another word, haris, which is the word for grace. Grace. So real joy, like the joy that made the baby leap in Elizabeth, 
when Mary spoke. And joy, as we hear it later in the text, um, is produced by the grace of God. So what does that mean? It means it's something we cannot conjure up solely on our own. With a mug, with a comfy pillow, with huga, the Danish art of coziness, we can't do it. It's a delight that comes from knowing what is true about God. Um, Actually, God is the origin of it. And it's this assurance. It's the assurance that no matter what is, something else will be. Um, It's a deep down sense of well-being that abides in our heart as a person who relies on our connection, our relationship with our Father, our God. Um, That kind of joy doesn't depend on me conjuring it up. It looks to God. And um, I love the Bible Project. I don't know if any of you have taken in those videos, but I love how they describe biblical joy Um, It says, the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. And to me, that feels like living water in a world that says, do more, get more, have more, make yourself this, do this so that you feel better for a minute. That is false. That is false. It is a dead end where you can't get out. So what stood out to me is what Mary displays is this hara joy, a different kind of joy, a joy that doesn't depend on circumstances. It depends on her and her trust with God, her relationship. It's born out of that relationship. And so sometimes in scripture, we see joy that comes in this instant filling of the Holy Spirit. And then other times there's examples of of joy just coming out of a person as they think about God and look to God. And in Mary's story, there's kind of both. It's a practice of both being filled and then her practicing it herself. So we're gonna look deeper into her story here. And there's kind of three things I want us to see. Um, The first way that Mary's posture shifts from maybe being fearful into a place of joy um, is, is in relationships, in connection. And in today's world, um, a lot of us have bought into connections that aren't real. And that is really weird to say, but I see it so true with our young people that like our first instinct is to go towards a device to fill ourselves up. Whether it's binging shows, now please, I know, I love to binge a good show. Um, but we love to go to that place or to texting to maintain relationships versus sitting face-to-face with somebody and sharing life. And all of that returns empty. It feels a little different. That's, I think, part of why during COVID it was so hard that we couldn't be with people because it was different. It doesn't fill you the same way as being face-to-face with somebody. God actually made us to be in relationship. So something about what Mary does when she goes to Elizabeth, something grows because this other person says, yes, that's happening and God is gonna do that in you. And it gives her courage. And so my question for you is this. And I don't know what relationships are like for you, but as you think about this, who are the people in your life that you can sit with and one minute you can be 
down in the depths and the next minute you guys are rejoicing together. Who are those people? Is it a small group that you're involved in? Is it family members that you love? Is it one or two super great friends? I think of my friends Carrie and Katrina. When we're hanging out, it goes from the weirdest topics to like talking about our relationship with God, to talking about the people in our lives that we're concerned about and like holding each other accountable. It's this beautiful dance. But they always remind me of what's true. And they call me out too sometimes. And they cheer me up sometimes. But who are those people for you that can bring about the things and call out what God is doing in your life? Like no to that, yes to that. Who are those people? And maybe that's an invitation for you. Maybe there's a space where you need to move closer in relationship to somebody that you've been holding like this. You'll know. You'll know. And then the second way we can practice, like Mary, moving our hearts towards a posture of joy is, is in the remembering. You guys, I loosely loved that we lost our screens today because I was like, you guys, this is the message. Like, the main point is remembering what's true about God. That's why we sing. We don't sing to sound good. God receives our joyful noises, um, but we don't sing to sound good. We, we're singing to remind ourselves of what is true about God and who he is and what God does because sometimes our hearts forget. And so I love that the screens went out today, side note. Um, but there's joy that rises up when we remember God, when we take a moment to think about what's true about him, whether it's dwelling in scripture or prayer or, or singing in some cases, but like remembering the truth about who God is. And, and this has been the plight of God's people all along and we live into it too. We easily forget. We start living down here. God sees from this big view and we see like the minuscule version of it um, and we struggle to remember it's why remembering is a very common theme in the old testament god keeps telling the people remember me say it to your kids write it on your doorposts remember remember don't forget to remember <laughs> um, there's so many times where he says remember the book of deuteronomy records Moses' final address to the people that he'd led for decades, and they're about to cross the Jordan and occupy the promised land, finally, right? And he chooses his words very carefully, no doubt. But one of the themes that he keeps repeating over and over is remember. Remember what God has done for our people. Remember, pass it on, pass it on. And in Mary's song, we can see very clearly her memory of scripture, the things that she knows are true about God. And I wonder if part of that was her telling her own heart, reminding her own heart what was true about God as she said those things. So actually, modern day, we do this thing called affirmations. It's a common like mental health practice that people do of saying things that are true about yourself, right? Well, affirmations about God is worship. And we're remembering God as we take in his, his word, as we focus on who God is. Um, and I can think of so many times in my life, I'm, I'm not like a scripture memory guru uh, by any means, but I do believe that it is so important to like saturate our heart and our life in scripture, however you can take it in. 
Um, because I know there has been a number of times in my life where I was in the midst of something chaotic or crazy and God used something he had told me before to remind me of what's true for now. I can think of a specific time when I was dating a guy that I thought I was going to marry and I, we had this conversation. He said, well, can't we just keep dating until we figure out if we should get married or not? And I said, no. And I remember driving away from that conversation and thinking, like, my life just ended. <laughs> like, everything I thought just ended. And God said, don't be discouraged. I'll be with you wherever you go. He didn't say, I'm going to give you a husband in two years or any of those things. Um, but I remember being so comforted by that word that he gave in my heart. By the way, it took longer than two years, but it's all good. Um, so the, having those things sunk down in your heart is so important. Um, and some people forget that. We forget that. So what is that practice for you? Um, as a way of focusing your heart on joy, taking in God's word, reminding yourself of what's true of God. And then lastly, and my most favorite, is worship. Some versions of this text talk about Mary saying, I magnify the Lord. And you guys, I have to say, all I could picture was my grandmother's house. She had this long glass, I think it was, thing that you'd put over the words of a book and slide it to make it much bigger. Um, and what came to mind with that picture was how often do I actually put God as in focus, the biggest focus? I worship him. So sometimes our circumstances or our concerns, just like, I mean, imagine Mary. Like, what is she gonna do? And, and those things can have my full attention. And what I want to do, what I want to do in my heart of hearts is magnify, putting God in the focus. Like, no God, like, yes, this is happening, and you, you, you are faithful, you are good. I want to focus on him. So worshiping God and turning our focus towards him helps us lay down those concerns. And friends, we live in a world that says, actually, circumstances are king. Circumstances are king. How you're feeling is the most important way to make a decision. Um, you do you, right? Um, when actually we're invited into something so much deeper. Life is full of unexpected twists and turns, and worship can be the thing that tethers us. So now I want to share just a little bit. The last couple of years in my life have been a little complicated, to say the least. Actually, really going back to when I had my daughter, um, it got really messy, not only in the world, but like in my home, in my life, um, losing people that I loved or grieving different friendship transitions or things that seemed to be something that our family was headed towards that no longer would be. Um, lots of grief and lots of loss. And I remember having this moment with Jesus where he reminded me that what he promised would be true. And that was like three years ago. And it hasn't been fully developed, right? I'm still waiting for that. And I remember experiencing God's invitation to sing. 
in the midst of that, which I love to sing, but I'm not a good, like a great singer. Um, And sometimes I feel super weird doing that in my car. But like, it is the thing that reminds me that God is the focus. God is who brings me joy. God is who brings me hope. And without that, I'm lost. Um, So, yeah, I don't want these words to fall flat. But even as I prepared for today, um, I wondered like, are people looking for three bullet points to take home with them? Um, Or information from my brain to yours? I want you to hear this, like worship can be a lifeline. It is a lifeline. Like God, God is the lifeline. And joy is a way that we get to access him more fully. And we can't do that when we're letting our circumstances dictate how we are and how we feel. Like God is the lifeline. Because here's the deal. The opposite choice of joy is actually despair. And while I say that, I know some of us are probably feeling a little like that. Like, where is the hope? I want the joy. I don't know how to do that. Um, But despair and hopelessness are the thing that can crush us the most sneakily and the most easily because they convince us that what God said is not true. There's an enemy who opposes our joy and who opposes our worship because he wants to hold us back from God. He wants to be our focus. But us having joy means that we believe God because we're saying this might be happening and God. This might be falling apart, but God. It means we have a king that we trust in spite of our circumstances. It means that we are content. We're not trying to add one more thing or be one more thing. We're just being with, with God. It means we are free. Have you ever thought about that? Joy is actually a declaration of your freedom because you are saying that God has broken every chain and made a way for you no matter what. That's why Mary is described as having defiant joy because she stands in the midst of impossible circumstances and says, my God will do what my God says he will do. And I want to be like that. But there are very real things that grab at our attention and try to convince us that this isn't the way. My friends, this is the only way. It's the only way. And it's not something you can rush your heart into believing. Um, You can't. It's something that you have to work at. Again, it's that idea of fruit. Refocusing constantly. Whatever that means for you, whether it's soaking in scripture or if it's having a friend to pray with, or if it's listening to worship songs in your car. Sometimes I just sit in this parking lot because I need a transition and I just sit there and let the words soak over me. Or I invite a friend to pray for me when I feel like that little tether is getting too loose. Um, It is said that the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's another verse you can find commonly at Hobby Lobby. But the real story in Nehemiah is that when the people of God are being presented with the book of the law, uh, they fall on their faces in worship. 
because they're so overwhelmed at all the things God can do and they fall on their faces and, and their leaders say, don't grieve, don't mourn, don't be sad. The joy of the Lord is our strength. They're remembering. They remember in the midst that God will do what he says he will do and they don't need to grieve and they don't need to mourn because God can be trusted. So, I don't know how this feels for you or if, if you're feeling numb, if you're feeling hopeful today, if you're feeling joyful today, but joy is the thing that gives us the strength we need to endure hard things. Not a mug, not even a friend, <laughs> joy, joy. And, and it comes through connection, it comes through worship, it comes through remembering God. And there's something amazing that happens even in our brains when we experience joy. It lights us up from the inside out. And so my friends, as I think about joy and I look out at your faces, I imagine that if each of us experienced joy and we truly lit up from the inside out, what would that do to the world that is being grasped by hopelessness and despair? So we're gonna take a minute and just check in on our souls. And I refer to this as like gritty. What in your life feels gritty right now? Like messy, unfixable, difficult, just rubs you the wrong way, like sand in unmentionable places at the beach. <laughs> what feels messy? Sorry. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> But what feels that way? What is that thing that you just haven't laid down? What is that thing? And what would it look like for you to trust God with that area of your life? And what would it look like to sing from that place? Sing, to worship, to magnify God, make God bigger than the circumstances. What would it look like? So we're gonna take a little silence here, and you guys are getting really good at this, of just wondering what that gritty, messy thing is and what might be your invitation to moving a little closer to being able to sing in the darkness. <laughs> 